Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to Monday, Mark's Gospel with Scott and Patty. Yes. So we're glad y'all are here today as we resume our journey through, uh, we're in chapter 7, by the way. Verse 24. Verse 24, (laughs) 724. So, anyway. It's good to have you here today, Patty. Thanks. What's good to up? Have you here? <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Not too much. Not too much, Not really. Too much is new. Well, Y'all calm, cool, and collected. I am. The house is yeah. nice in here, and it's not that hot outside yet. I don't it's know. Not what that happened hot outside today, yet. So. The next few days are still manageable. Then, boom! boom. Three digits. Yeah, yep, those are the dog days. Real pleasant Father's Day for you dads. Oh, well, it's just hot. You know, what are you going to do? We stay inside we live in, in Texas. air conditioning right. anyway. Right, so. I can't handle the heat at all anymore. So, um, yeah, but we're doing we're doing great. I'm trying to think of anything new to tell you. No, we'll, maybe this. Let me, um... Let me do this for one second. Okay, so these are the three days that we're going to miss because Patty and I are going to be away. We're going to go on a cruise up in Norway because it's going to be hotter than you know what back here. So you may notice that July 3rd is not a Monday we're going to miss. The church is going to be closed on July 3rd, but I thought we would go ahead and meet on July 3rd. I mean, I'm... Won't be doing we'll be anything. Here. We'll be here. Yeah, and, people um, might because, you know. And you but can if you are, you can always. And, right? It'll be recorded yep. and posted so everywhere. Same thing I do every every day, every week with the yes. with these class recordings. But we thought, sure, go and meet on July third. That's what we thought because it it looks like we're gone for so long, but we're really not. You guys know, especially if you're flying to a cruise that's. Um, we're flying to Copenhagen to get on a cruise. You got It takes a day to get there, and you got to get there at least one day before. Because as we learned many years ago, right here in the U.S. Don't cut it close. <laughs> we we yeah. never got Scott's bags. Nope. It never, ever. Ever, ever. ever. Yep, lost bag so out there somewhere. Somebody's enjoying it, my, uh, <laughs> my what? Your I don't Tommy know. Bahama shirt. I lost a good hat in that. <laughs> I don't even think I was wearing Tom of Bahama back then. I don't know. I don't think I don't so. Know. But anyway, okay. Anyway, so, so we're grateful that you're here. We are grateful that you're here. So should I get us going then, since we really don't have anything There's to not, banter about? Just hasn't, right? There's pretty quiet. Pretty quiet. Pretty quiet. Pretty, pretty quiet, quiet as we as we approach Father's Day. Yeah. Well, hey, wasn't it a great day at St. Andrew yesterday, honoring all those? Yeah, it was just great. All the scholarship students, there's wow. been more. I mean, Patty and I have been at St. Andrew for going on 25 years now. So it's just been more and more students yeah. every year getting these scholarships. And they said yesterday that um, the Methodist men have given out a million dollars. That's amazing. In college scholarships. Yep. So yep. it's really just not this year, but in cumulative. Totally. Yes, yes. It's, so it's really a great, a great program, and uh, I think all the kids, all the seniors, who are getting some help are very appreciative I of it. I think so too. I so, think so too. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. Um, we're grateful every time we have a chance to gather, get together, even if it's online. This is still good, and we know that Your Spirit has called us here from our disparate places in Florida and Longview and other places. I don't even know where they all are. And we come here to just take this time out of our day, out of our week, to study your word, um, to try to read it carefully, and um, uh, really strive to to let 
Scripture transform us um, for the renewing of our minds so that we will really know what what your will is, what is good to you, and what is good and what is pleasing to you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, yesterday when I was doing the Sunday class, we have um, we have a number of people that have left St. Andrew because they've moved away, but they still live in Texas. Yes. And they're very, very faithful that I see them all the time online. But yesterday we had somebody in Montana and Colorado, and I knew both of them were cooler than we were. <laughs> you are so right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty. Before the storms came last night, it was so humid and so warm um, right here at our house. I mean, it was crazy. But, the, you know, consequently, we got an inch of rain last night and had hail, but it was just a small, you know, little little marble size kind of things that doesn't do any damage. Hey, speak of somebody that has moved away but is very, very faithful. It's Candy. Hi, Candy. Hi, Candy. <laughs> yes, hi, Candy. And Josie Teeter, she lives in Florida. Yes. And Maybell listens all the time from out of town. She's Longview. very faithful. Longview, Texas. A whole bunch of people. It's cool. Just... <laughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> I just have a little bit of stuff in my throat here. I'm, I'm really so past the bronchitis, but there's still this little lingering part that I'll probably be getting rid of all the last of it pretty quick. So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're going to start at Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Verse 24. And let's just review where we've come out of. In the paragraph leading up to verse 24, Jesus differentiated between, gave, not, gave new meaning to what is clean and unclean. Because you don't have to spend much time around the Bible to realize that for the Jews, Jews of Jesus' day, certain things were unclean. There were food laws that governed what the Jews would and would not eat, such as they didn't eat bacon and they didn't eat shrimp and uh, other things. So Jesus has basically moved all that aside and he says, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It is what comes out of your mouth that, uh, it, that makes you unclean and listed this list of, of like I'll call them sins, you know, that Paul is also good at making such a list, and we humans are too good at living such a list, actually. So, noting that these come in, from inside a person, the deceit, envy, slander, and they are what, they are what make us unclean. They are what defile us, not whether I had a BLT or not today. And that is, you know, in Jesus's day, that's really a radical move. But you see, that's what Jesus is doing. It is a very radical thing that Jesus is doing in inaugurating the kingdom of God. And nothing really is the same on the other side of that. And that's what Paul really has to wrestle with. It has to instruct the Christians about it. It's what the arguments are about with um, Paul's fellow Jews um, post-Jesus. So it, it's, I think Christians can make a mistake if they just view Jesus as being on this smooth little upward line toward God, you know, or what. No, it's this big radical abrupt change. Big radical abrupt change, including 
Jesus pointing to the fact that the food laws, which once served a useful purpose in outlining the boundaries of God's people, are going to be gone. They're going to be swept away. They, they, Paul calls those kinds of food laws and circumcision and stuff in that way um, like, a, like a nanny, you know, that you have to have when, when you're young and you're little, but you outgrow. And so that's really what Jesus is pointing toward. And it will enable and reflect the fact that, that this whole um, project of God is about bringing humanity back into a right relationship with God. But that isn't really Jesus's vocation. Now, that may be a shocking statement to you. It really isn't what Jesus is about day to day during his ministry. What he is about day to day is being the Jewish Messiah and opening people's eyes to what God is doing among them, inaugurating God's kingdom, and being that Jewish Messiah, that Jewish king, as it were. <clears throat> because the project the, 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 the next part of the project, which is really carrying uh, the gospel and all of this to the Gentiles, that's going to become the work of the church after Jesus' death and resurrection. Which you can see in like the Great Commission when Jesus says, you know, go be, you know, my witnesses. Go, go make disciples of all nations. Um, to the corners of the earth. And so so that, that's really the work of the church. So we, we have to get things in the right order. And I say all that because that is the key point of the next paragraph, which often shocks people. Okay? Any thoughts, Patty? Yep. Okay. So, Jesus left that place. He went where they were with and he was with the Jews because he had been challenged by the Pharisees and he's talking with disciples and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. So let me show you where that is. I brought a map. Yay, maps right up there, way to the northwest of Galilee. That is the area of Tyre and Sidon. It is Gentile. It is not Jewish. It is where Jezebel is from. Uh, the the bride of, of Ahab and the persecutor of Elijah. So Jesus goes up there, okay? And notice in verse 24 that there is no mention of the disciples. Jesus left that place where he was and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. And there's no mention. You can look ahead if you want to. There's no mention of the disciples in this whole um, this whole coming story, this, you know, the fancy word scholars use is pericope, P-E-R-I-C-O-P-E, -E, pericope. But I don't use it because it's too fancy. So this, this, this little story that we have here, and why is that? Where, why aren't the disciples mentioned? Could it be that they're not actually with Jesus? That he has told them to stay down where they were, maybe tend to their boats, tend to their families maybe. I think that would be a good Jewish thing to do because they're busy with Jesus so much at the time and their families are, are back at their homes. Tend to your business, tend to your families, and Jesus is going to go and basically take a break. Okay? 
We tend to think of Jesus having to be on the go, go, go all the time for two and a half or three years. And, well, first of all, who can really do that, right? Secondly, um, we get all these interludes where Jesus wants to retreat from the crowds and go back and pray and find some time alone. So, for whatever reason, he does seem to be alone. If there's no mention of the disciples, I'm going to take it to be that they aren't with him, that he is alone, and that he went to the vicinity of Tyre up there in the northwest, this Gentile area. Okay? He entered a house there, a place to stay. There's not Motel 6, so he has found some place. I don't know how. He entered a house. Somebody's going to put him up. And he did not want anybody to know it. He is there incognito. <laughs> Yet, he could not keep his presence secret. You know, we're almost halfway through Mark's Gospel. And the word about Jesus is spread. And there might well be Gentiles up there who would even recognize him who came down to Galilee to the southeast and, and saw Jesus doing some of his teaching with the crowds. Remember, they fed, he, they fed how many in Mark 6? 20,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. Granted, they were all, most were of those would be Jews, but still, somehow, he couldn't keep his presence secret. In fact, verse 25, in fact, and here we come to the story, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. So this woman has a daughter who is deeply ill. And as we've talked about it, for these people, that would often be seen as having, as an impure spirit having done this to the girl. Because they, they just don't have the any understanding of the mechanisms of human bodies and illness and germs and all the rest of that stuff. But she's really, really sick. That's the mother's problem, is the girl is really, really sick. No, no idea really that the little girl is mad like that Gentile was on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Remember the fellow who was living in the graveyard and had to be bound by chains? None of that. The little girl is just desperately, desperately ill. And the question is, what would a mother do in... Almost anything. 28 or 29 A.D. Mm -hmm. when their child is desperately ill and she knows full well that, you know, the medicine of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't do much. Well, she would do anything, as Patty said. She would do anything. And now she hears about Jesus. She knows that he has been a healer. Well, then we find out more about the woman. The woman was a Greek, meaning a Gentile. That's what that means. Born in Syria and Phoenicia. So she is up in her home, as virtually everybody is. Most people never travel, much less move away from the place they were born or some immediate surrounding village. People just stayed. They just tended to stay where they were. So she is from that area, Syrian Phoenicia. That's where Tyre is and Sidon is. And she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Okay? Don't, don't be thinking the Exodus, really. It's, it's, it's 
I, I don't. She is desperately ill. Verse 20, because there's just no language here that expresses, that seems to express the girl's madness. But anyway, 27, here's what he tells her. This is Jesus talking to the woman. First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Okay, so who, wow, what? First, let the children eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus is a Jewish man. And for the Jews, who are the dogs? What do you think? I would guess any Gentiles. Gentiles. And they didn't have dogs like most of the dogs in at this time and that part of the world were feral dogs, wild dogs. They weren't people. They weren't people. Didn't keep pets in that way. I mean, if people are living on subsistence diets, they're not likely to want to keep more mouths to feed in the way of animals. So dogs didn't have the um, people weren't. <laughs> Nowadays, people almost a lot of people who treat their 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 pets like their children. Well, that is this is 180 degrees from that. So first, let the children eat all they want, but it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. First, let the children, the Jews, eat all they want, for it isn't right to take the Jews' bread, what I'm doing for the Jews, and toss it to the Gentiles. And and taking at face value, it's pretty insulting. What do you think, Patty? Yeah, it is. It's always going to be one of those that really, wow, people read and they go, oh, this is Jesus. He's not going to say something like this. Well. Well, we don't even know if this woman is Jewish or not. She's we? not Jewish. Yeah, I mean, she is a Gentile, no question. She's a Gentile living in Gentile lands. So the oddball here is Jesus right. being Jewish. So, a couple of things we might take away. First of all, this thing that he says does reflect what is his mission. His mission is not to take the good news to the Gentile world. It is to be the Jewish Messiah. The Gentile world will be brought in, but that will be the work of the church. Almost... In fact, we're almost, Jesus began this sort of time amongst the Gentiles back in chapter 5 when they went to the eastern side and he um, did the exorcism of the demons from the chained up man in the graveyard. And in a chapter or so later, we will leave the any notions of the Gentiles and from that point on, it's a Jewish story only. So we have a, a, a space of a few chapters here in Mark's Gospel where Jesus is interacting with Gentiles. But you can look at the things he says in all of the Gospels and the things Paul said in some of his letters that the first mission here is for Jesus to be the Jewish Messiah. And from that, then will come the bringing in of the Gentiles. 
though that work will be left to the church. That will be the nature of Jesus' great commission to the apostles. That's the first thing to see, that the, you know this, this notion that he is there to be the Jewish Messiah, not simply to do what everybody wants him to do, also then reminds us that he isn't just going around being the healer of all wrong things. He's not going around just, just healing people, you know, helter-skelter. He is, his vocation is to inaugurate the kingdom of God and to, and to, and to bring people to God through him as these Jews through, to God through him as the Jewish Messiah. That's, that's what you have to stay focused on, Okay. Now, another thing about this that I think, when I think about this this thing and then her reply, which you'll see is very clever, that there is some there is some bantering going on. There's some back and forth, and so I could see Jesus saying this with with a half smile on his face. He says, "You know, first the children eat all they want, for it isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs." And she says, "Lord." Interesting word. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Oh, she has Jesus trapped. In a way, you know, it's just this, it's just back and forth. Some people even think that verse 27 should be broken into two pieces to make it, to make an, a, um, a dialogue clearer. But um, in any event, after he hears her, let's look at what he says. Then in response to her clever response, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, well, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her children, her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. The child was healed. Okay, so... Jesus's reply is a response to what? Really not her cleverness. She is clever in this. It is her faith. She sought Jesus out. She sought out this Jewish man and begged him to heal her daughter, to chase the demon out of her daughter. And and she doesn't insist that Jesus go with her or anything. She has faith like the synagogue leader did, like the woman who reached down and touched Jesus' cloak, that, that in Jesus you find the kingdom of God enacted. And in the kingdom of God there are no, there are no demons. Their power is gone. And so... Um, she went home without Jesus, just on the base of his word alone, and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Wow. You know? So, I, I, I still find that one a little confusing. In what way? I don't know. I just do. For it is not right to take the children's bread... So it's are, not right to... Who are the children? The people of God, the Israels, the, the Israelites. Yes, the Jews. The Jews, and the, yes, and the other is the Greeks or Gentiles. Or the dogs. 
Yes. So he's just saying it isn't right to take what I have for the Jews and give it to the Gentiles. Yes. yes. So then explain to me. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Other people may have this down. I'm sure I, they do. Okay. Under, I'm sure I do. Under the dog, un, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Well, now she flips it. You see, so she says, well, you know, of course. Well, you know, even even when the children are eating this bread that was given to them, there's still crumbs that fall to the floor and the dogs get that. Can't you? Uh, okay. Right? Can't, Sorry. Right? Can't you heal my daughter? I not get that well. Yeah. That's what that is. That's about like, okay, we can live off the crumbs off the table. Okay. And, and a crumb here accomplishes what? The healing of her daughter. Jesus is going to go see the daughter. Just that crumb. It's, it, think of it like the woman. She doesn't have to engage who touches Jesus' clothing. She doesn't have to engage with Jesus. All she wants to do is touch him. She believes that all she has to do is touch that piece, piece of clothing and she will be healed. And you know what? She was right. Isn't it amazing what the crumbs yes. in the kingdom can accomplish? Okay, so then that kind of reminds me of um, another verse in the Bible where we're talking about people picking the wheat and being instructed, you don't have to bend down and pick up every little bit because you could leave the crumbs for those who are coming That's one of the important wheat. parts of the Law of Moses. So I, that, get that. I get that now. That they were to, when they harvested their wheat, they were to make sure that there was... The bits and pieces were left lying in the field, so those who needed them, strangers, people they didn't know, travelers, could come in and get yes. them, yes. right? The poor, whoever it might be. So, yeah, it's... it. But the, the, the big thing here I think we're supposed to get is this recognition, which a lot of people, you know, we don't talk about this very much, I think, in sermons or anything in churches, that Jesus' vocation is to be the Jewish Messiah. He is Lord. He is God. He is the Jewish Messiah. His vocation is to be the Jewish Messiah, not to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. Which, once you read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, or chapter 1 in the book of Acts, is clear that that work is left yes. to the church. To you and to me, because we're still part of chapter uh, of of the church. The church's work is ongoing. Um, that's Act six. <laughs> well, six it's Act five. Where you know okay. that six yes. act play. Yes. We're still in Act five. Act, act five, six five, will sorry. begin when Jesus Comes returns. Yes. Yeah. So, so do you suppose Pratt, you could lower it one degree in here? I sure can. And Nancy Pratt wanted yeah. to ask you, yeah. how did the writer of the book know that the little girl was healed? Do you think this was something that just kind of spread? Spread to everybody that this news. It could be that that the story that the story spread that the woman um, spread the story. It could also be that Jesus went back and he told his disciples what had happened. This pretty pretty interesting woman who talked back to him basically yes. in this conversation, right? Yes. And that she, you know, some people in our day want to make. A lot out of her rebuking Jesus and so forth, and I, I, I think they go too far, but it is, it is, she is, she is clever, and it's clever with a bite to it. 
clever with a bite to it. And of course, it's all in the context of a Jewish man talking to a Gentile woman. And to our knowledge, there's nobody else around them. And that's even like, whoa. A Jewish man and a Gentile woman speaking to each other. Um, when they're alone, it's a little bit like in John 4, when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of a shocking, the disciples come up and they're shocked that he's talking to this Samaritan woman, Jewish man and Samaritan woman by themselves. It was just, it was not the way things were done. Not the way things were done. But as Patty said, you know, the little girl is desperately ill and the woman is the mother's desperate. So, fine. And she's desperate enough, she's going to, she's going to give a kind of a clever, you know, retort back to Jesus to remind, you know, that, yeah, well, we'll settle for the crumbs. And the amazing part is the crumbs are enough. You know, the crumbs are enough. <laughs> so, anyway, okay. So, anything else on that one? Okay. Chapter 31. So Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre. He went through Sidon, which is just down the road, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. So let me show you that on a map. I brought another one. So there we go. There's Tyre and Sidon. They're up there along the coast there. Um, that's where uh, Phoenicia was. That's the Gentile area. So he's going to go down through Galilee to the Sea of Galilee and cross over to the other side to the Decapolis. And that too is a Gentile area. The Decapolis, um, kind of like a decathlon or a decade, is, refers to ten cities, polis, ten cities, ten Greek cities on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So Jesus is still, so he goes from one Gentile area to another Gentile area, okay? And we'll see, we'll see what comes of that, okay? So he goes down to the Decapolis, verse 32. Still no sign of the disciples, right? So it seems to me he is still, he is still by himself. Because I otherwise I don't know why there wouldn't be some mention of the disciples through all this. Yes. But, you know, you can't know for sure about so many things. We don't have to. All we can do is deal with what's on the page. You might want to know more. Everybody wants to know more. Everybody wants to know what Jesus looked like. Everybody wants to know why, 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 this, this, this. All we can, all we, all we really have are these Greek words on a page. And now we read in English, okay? Verse 32, well, there in, in the region of the Decapolis, some people brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. So he is deaf and mute, basically. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him because they wanted the man to be able to hear and to be able to speak. They wanted him to be healed. And in the kingdom of God, there are no deaf and there are no mute. 
so in this healing we are going to see another enactment of the kingdom of God which for the readers is a reminder that this inauguration of the kingdom of God is not merely for the benefit of the Jews it is for the benefit of the whole world because if you're not Jewish you're Gentile it's for the benefit of the whole world carrying that gospel to the Gentiles is not Jesus's vocation but it is for the benefit of the whole world. Does that make sense, Patty? Am I yes, clear about that? I think so. Because it isn't the way, it isn't something we, we talk about very much. Okay, so there's this man, and obviously people who love him, right? Family, friends, they've brought him to Jesus. They want Jesus, you know, to place his hand on him so that the man can be healed. So, after Jesus took the man aside, away from the crowds, this is a very Jesus way. When Jesus went to the home where the little girl had, supposed, had, had, had died, um, he only took a few disciples in with him. Remember, he, all the crowds, he wouldn't let them all crowd into the house and be gawkers. He takes the man away. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, right? So if I put my fingers in my ears, they're gonna be stopped up, right? Yes. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. So these are very physical manifestations of the healing Jesus is accomplishing. Jesus looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, what sort of, what sort of, what a deep sigh. This is not a deep sigh of, what's it a deep sigh of, do you think, Patty? Is he, is a deep sigh of impatience? Probably not. A deep sigh of, maybe, I don't know. As I put myself, into this, I, I wonder if it's just a deep sigh of, of finding, finding that peace. Sort of like your son will take a deep breath and then will let it out deeply, but he takes a deep sigh and said to the man, Apathitha, which means be opened. So at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. It's a healing. It's not the way we would understand healings to happen today. I've never been to a doctor who spat on my tongue or spat on his hand and then rubbed his saliva on my tongue. Okay? But we don't live in this world and they don't live in our world. So these are expressions of the way things happen in this world. And the things to see are that Jesus looks up to heaven in this particular, right? He's, yes. th this comes out of prayer. Yes. And he says, be opened. And there and, would, I, I feel maybe he did that also because we know all that Jesus has to do is say the word or possibly just think the word and the man could have been healed. But I think it was a way for him to show the crowd that the healing was Definitely but, but look back him. at verse. Let me let me look back at verse thirty-three. Because you, I mean, I, that would be my first reaction as well. Uh, so he's away from. He the took crowd. the crowd away. 
But he, he's away from the crowd. Able to tell people this is what he did to me. Maybe like that? You know, maybe. Um, I was reading some commentaries on this, and, you know, there are a lot of different opinions about it, but it is... What's interesting is this is a healing with which Mark takes some time. Right? Oftentimes the healings are boom, 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 and he's healed. But this case, maybe it's more often like this. Right? And maybe it's looking forward to something we're going to come to in a bit. Right? Because here... Um, he put his fingers in the man's ears, then he spat and touched the man's tongue, and he says, be open, and boom! The man can hear, and the man can speak plainly, and it's going to be in contrast to something that's going to happen a little bit a little bit later here. So, so maybe that's why Mark gives us this, full, this fuller picture of what's happening. Now, here, this is interesting, verse 36. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Well, that's the exact opposite of what happened when he healed the Gentile man on the Gentile territory in, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee when he chased the demons into the pigs. And then he says, you know, go spread the news and stuff. But here, no, he tells the man, tell, nope, nope, commanded them not to tell anyone. Why? Don't know. <laughs> is it the exception that proves the rule? Don't know. Is it just reminding us as readers that Jesus is really striving very hard, you know, to maintain the pace of this whole thing because he's getting closer and closer to Jerusalem in a figurative sense. But in any event, he commanded them, that's the man, his family, his friends, whomever, not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Yeah, that's a surprise, isn't it, honey? <laughs> People were overwhelmed with what? It's Mark's gospel. So they were overwhelmed with? Amazement. Amazement. Mark loves that word. And then what do they say of Jesus? He has done everything well even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This Jewish Messiah, this Jewish healer amongst these Gentiles. You know, they proper Jews didn't even he didn't even eat with Gentiles. And Jesus has gone past that. He he's willing to spit and touch the man's the Gentiles tongue. Wow. I mean, I imagine there would be Jews who would say, that's going to take, you know, like six months of purification rituals to get over that. What do you mean you stuck his fingers in his ears? Maybe that's, maybe that's the best way to see this. Is, is There is nothing unclean about this man, as the Jews would see it. And so Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears, and he spits, and he touches the man's tongue. I'm I, I'm I'm a Jewish man. This is a Gentile man. God's going to heal him, but he's not unclean in the way Jews would see Gentiles as unclean. Okay. Any other thoughts? 
All right. Well, let's go on to chapter eight and you're gonna be getting some deja vu here. And the question is why are you getting deja vu? This is, this is the question, you know, biblical interpreters and commentators like to ask, well, what's up here? Chapter eight, during those days, Well, okay, during those days, like at that time, another large crowd gathered, presumably on the Gentile side. That's where Jesus last was, was in the Decapolis on the Eastern side. He's about to say goodbye to the Gentile world in Mark's gospel, but a large crowd gathers. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, quote, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance because of their, I think in a lot of cases, their desperation, right? In all kinds of ways, not just a physical illness, but desperation for hope. And, and, and a better, better future if they thought in those terms. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? And Jesus asked, well, okay, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he told the crowd to sit down on the ground and when he had taken the seven loaves and seven and given thanks, so he takes the loaves he breaks the bread, he gives, lifts it up to the Father, gives thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and they were satisfied. And afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls Okay, so there's, there were seven loaves to start with. Now there's seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Okay, abundance, abundance is what we're talking about. About 4,000 were present. Now these would be men by the conventions of the day. So it's nearly as many as were in the Jewish crowds in chapter 6. And we're not far past chapter 6, are we? About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got the crowds away. He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Okay, let's, let's, we'll, we'll move on to another map here. Do we know where Dalmanutha is? No, it's long gone, lost in history. Some will say it's on the eastern side. I don't think so. I'm with those who say it has to be on the western side. Given the geography that we're about to get here in the next story, it's over here. Some, a lot of folks say it was somewhere in this area around Magdala on the eastern side. But the truth is, it's kind of lost. It's just kind of lost in history. There's no identity of Dalmanutha anymore. But it's a place he had to reach by boat. So if he's still on the eastern shore, because it never Mark never says anything about Jesus moving, and Mark does tell us a lot about Jesus, Jesus's movements in the gospel. He says he's, Jesus is still over the Decapolis in the Gentile area in the eastern shore, and then he's going to climb into a boat after the feeding and head to Dalmanutha, which means 
I don't know, simple terms, he's going to go to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's thought that, like I said, that it was around Magdala. All right. So is this, is this a second feeding? Is this just a repeat? Well, I don't think it's just a repeat. I mean, Mark knows what he's writing. Sometimes people who comment on these things just imagine that the people who write these things, they're somehow, you know, I don't know, not the brightest bulbs, but they are. Mark knows. This is even a short gospel. So he knows there is the feeding in chapter 6, and now there's the feeding. And, of course, you and I know that the feeding of thousands is the only miracle told in all four Gospels. So obviously it's an incredible experience. This leads us to think, to know, un, to me unsurprisingly, that it happened more than once because it's so important. It speaks to God's abundance. For a people who are living lives on the barest number of calories. The idea that they would be able to share one loaf of, seven loaves of bread and all would be what's the verb? Satisfied. They were all, they were all satisfied by it. Their stomachs were, were full. These were not people whose stomachs were typically full. But now they are. It's, it's, it's the kingdom of God. It's why um, in so many of Jesus' parables, they're, they're the, the parables are about, well, in, in a banquet or at a wedding because those are places of abundance, right? There's typically weddings, lots of food and everything like that. So Jesus tells these stories about the, in the kingdom of God, there's just so much food to eat. It's like walking into the you know, the Weston Stonebriar brunch every Sunday. I've never been there once, but I imagine it's good. <laughs> I imagine it's good. And so Jesus tells these stories to of abundance to a people who can't imagine. Now, that's not, not our lives, is it? We fight against calories. At least I do. For these people, life is fighting for calories. And to imagine that they could go to bed every night with a full stomach and that they're children could go to bed every night with full stomachs was was unthinkable but it's the promise of God's kingdom and so yeah I think these 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 feedings in various kinds would have happened more than once and I see the abundance in it I see the 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 little hints the little foretaste of the Last Supper right who is who who is the bread of Israel? Whose body will be broken? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. He is the bread of Israel. In John, it's explicit. I am the bread of life, Jesus says in John's gospel at the time of the feeding. That's that's how John's gospel, that's how John puts it together. So it's really um And a, a difference, the, probably the, for me, the biggest difference between the two stories is that one is done among the Jews and one is done among the Gentiles. 
And what does that say to me? It is another illustration carefully crafted by Mark to help us see, to help his readers, but not us 2,000 years, he doesn't know about us, but his readers almost 2,000 years ago to grasp, shockingly and sometimes, to grasp that this is for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, or as Paul put it in his letter to the Romans, the Jew first and then Gentiles, fine, but it's for everyone. Everyone. That's why I like the Methodist practice at Holy Communion. We practice what's called an open table. All are welcome because it's not our table. It's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's table. Nobody goes through the crowd picking out those who weren't, who shouldn't eat this. Right? Right. It's an open, we practice an open table in, in Methodist churches. So, um, now we're going to, we're going to come back to this and because uh, there's an allusion to that story later, but before I move on, any questions or anything? I'm... No. Folks are being kind of quiet today. Okay. Well, you're explaining it all well. I hope so. Well, of course, <clears throat> as I just said, now he's traveled back to that mysterious region of Dalmanutha. We're not sure where it is, but we know it's on the western side. How do I know it's on the western side? Because, verse 11, the Pharisees came. Well, they're not going to leave the Jewish side, not the Pharisees. The Pharisees came and they began to question Jesus. Of course they're going to question Jesus. To test him. Of course they're going to test him. Because they're scoffers. They're scoffers. Um, and Mark has two big themes. Who is Jesus? And the opposition of the Jewish leaders. So the Pharisees come. And they began to question Jesus to test him. And they asked him for a sign from heaven. Like, I don't know what. Make lightning come down and burn up a tree. Maybe make lightning come down and burn up a Pharisee. I, I don't know. And now, in verse 12, it says, Jesus sighed deeply. This one I think I get. This is exasperation. You people, you people, you people. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Now, let me explain generation. In Mark's gospel, this word here, it's a Greek word, obviously, underneath the English. It's a Greek word it's used four times. Each time it is used, it is used to speak of an unbelieving people. Because that's who the Pharisees are. They are not embracing Jesus and Jesus' way. So I see Lynn's comment. Lynn, you are, of course you're spot on. Gosh, we are, I mean, we're just so skilled at chopping people, chopping, putting people in categories and chopping them up and finding ways to divide them and push them all apart. Oh man, it's terrible. We want to find people who are unworthy. I, I belong to a, at least I, you know, I, I, 
read try to read around in some of the Christian stuff on online, some of it's really great and some of it's kind of scary because there's Christians who are just so ready, so sure that they know how to keep people out that I just want to go, no, you don't know how to do that. Jesus told you not to do that. Go back and read the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Don't do that. <laughs> That's Jesus's work. It's not your work. You're just supposed to spread the gospel, right? You're supposed to preach Jesus. You're not the decider of these things. But you're right, Lynn. Spot on. So, that the Pharisees have come and they want to test him. They want some sign. And Jesus says, ah, why does this general, why do you unbelieving people ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign's going to be going to be given to it. You're not going to get a sign from me. I'm not going to make lightning come down and blow something up or something else. You know, I, I've gotten this a number of times over the years from Christians who say, well, why does God just give everybody a really, really good sign and then they will know the truth of it all? Because it is true. It is all. It is true what we talk about and proclaim. But Jesus himself said, well, you know, I could be I could be dead for three days and then resurrected and people wouldn't believe. <laughs> signs, are, signs are not the way. They, they're asking for a sign because they were Pharisees want to be in control. They're unwilling to simply surrender themselves to Jesus and sit down at Jesus' feet and say, teach me. That's what's great about Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John's Gospel. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Granted, he comes to Jesus at the night in the night because he's afraid of being seen, but he comes to Jesus because he wants Jesus to teach him. He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing, and he comes with so much better, uh, um, so much better a way of approaching Jesus than the Pharisees do here. They just, they want to keep control. Yeah, give us a sign. Like, that's going to change their hearts. Hearts are not changed by signs. Signs can always be explained away. As in, in the case of the resurrection, oh, it never really happened. Oh, somebody stole his body. Oh, this, oh, that. He was never really dead. Oh, my gosh, this and that. So Jesus, come on. Why does, this why does this unbelieving generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them. He got back into the boat, and he crossed the other side. So now he's going to go back to the other side of the lake. He's a busy traveling man. Okay? So, the disciples, so he, he's heading back toward, if we don't really know where he's going to land yet, We'll find out in a minute, but anyway, he's heading back onto the lake for a trip back to the other side. So, verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Hmm. They're on the boat, they got time, they're talking about bread, and Jesus warns them about yeast. What, is ye what does yeast do? 
I'm, I know there are people listening who know what yeast does better than I know what yeast does because I don't bake. I just eat baked goods. So yeast makes, yeast makes things rise. Yes. A little bit of yeast. It doesn't take a whole lot of yeast. Just a little bit of yeast will make the, the bread rise and all that kind of thing. So it's like the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod is what? Unbelief. A little unbelief goes a long way. Unbelief is a poison. Everybody gets doubts, but you have to you have to cling to the foundation of your faith, because unbelief is a poison that can eat away at a person. So if you really find yourself thrust into a crisis of unbelief or overwhelming doubts, get with somebody, get with a fellow Christian. You know, talk with them about it. Talk with me about it. Talk with somebody about it. Because it is, it is the geese that is the, it, it will destroy. It will consume. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Well, verse 16. The disciples discussed this with one another and they said, well, why did he say that? Well, what the heck? What was that all about? Talked about, and they conclude it is because we have no bread. Do they have bread with them? Uh, I don't think they do, or very little. They've forgotten to bring, except for one little loaf. One loaf. Yeah. Does it say little? Well, it says one loaf. One loaf. Yes. Now, might it be, given the story we're coming out of? And the places we're going, that Mark intends us to see here, not actually a loaf of bread, but Jesus. That he is the bread they have with them in the boat. And that's right. And they don't get it yet. They don't get it yet. It's a way to reconcile them saying, because we have no bread, when they actually, we know they have one. That's okay. I said, I've said it the other day. This is a reminder. It is because we have no bread. But they do, you see. They have Jesus. They have the very bread of life. I know that comes from a different gospel. But they've seen this demonstrated twice already. Jesus is the provider of abundant bread. It's because we have no bread, they say. That's why he's going on and on about yeast. So, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked him, Why are you talking about having no bread? <laughs> here I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm inclined to hear exasperation here too. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Are you, it's, it's almost like, are you really fighting against me here? Are you hardening your defenses against what you've seen with your own eyes? Like, just because you can't explain it fully doesn't make it not real. Do you have, are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? 
because they've been with Jesus for a while now, and these are all echoes from the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, you have eyes but fail to see, do you have ears but fail to hear, and don't you remember, don't you remember already when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. And he says to them, do you still not understand? They are with Jesus. He has calmed the storm for them. He has walked out on water and rescued them. He has fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people out of abundance. He's healed and healed and healed and healed and exercise demons and they don't get it do you still not understand who it is you're hanging around with who you're following so i mean i i do some see think there's probably some exasperation here on jesus's part it was funny i was reading one sort of a summary of of interpreters here and they said well for 2,000 years, people have wrestled with the 12 and the 7. What they symbolize. Whatever you want. <laughs> that's like, no. Like, okay, so like the 12 and the 7. I think it's just, Jesus is just reminding them of the abundance. It actually was 12 basketfuls the first time. It actually is was 7 the second time. It's just about the abundance. They start out with a few loaves and they end up feeding everybody till they were satisfied and they have an abundant of bread an abundance of bread left over. Yes. That's what it's like to stand in the great waterfall of God's grace. God's grace is not like a stingy little trickle poured out on top of our heads. It's one of those giant gushing waterfalls that is poured out on us purely out of God's mercy. Purely out of God's mercy. But but you can tell he is he is exasperated. I mean, do you still not understand? And I th my experience in teaching this is that most of the reaction of most of us today is we don't understand how they don't understand. But all I can say in their defense is that when your entire worldview is going to be turned upside down, it's going to be like thrown into a blender and completely shattered and then rebuilt, I just think we humans have a hard time processing any of that. I don't know. But you can tell they don't, they still don't get it. So they came finally, I guess, to Bethsaida. Let me remind you where Bethsaida is. See, look at the very top, the very northeastern corner. So when they left that land of Dalmanutha, wherever exactly that was, around Magdala or wherever, they headed to Bethsaida, which is a Jewish area. The Gentiles are further south on the eastern side. So you can almost take, you know, and sort of just the, the Jewish area sweeps across the north and a little bit down on the eastern side. And the further south you go, the more Gentile it becomes. Because like the, um, the man in the graveyard, 
he was down at Gergesar in that general area. And that, those were Gentile lands. Okay, so, so they came to Bethsaida. That is Peter's hometown, where he was from. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Right? That's all they want. Just touch him, Jesus, that'll be enough. Remember the kingdom of God, there are not only no deaf or no mute, there are no blind. So he took the man, blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. Again, away from the crowds, right? When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? The man's reply is fascinating. The man looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, okay, <laughs> Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And the man said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then, after the second placing of Jesus' hands on the man's eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Just don't go back there. Don't go near there. Just go, go home. Again, this sort of messianic secret in Mark. It's, so what's up with the two-stage healing? This is Jesus we're talking about. Have we seen anything else? We're, we're, we're well into the eighth chapter here. Have In all this time, which means we're, we are um, really about halfway through the gospel, because a lot of the second half is taken up with the last week of Jesus' life. So have we ever seen anything that was like this two-stage? Two-stage healing. I'm going to call it that. Two-stage healing. We have not. Jesus does it once. The man, I don't know. I, I can see they look like trees. Then Jesus does it again. Well, what's up with that? <laughs> you're, I mean, if you're like me, your reaction is, well come, well, come on. Jesus could do it all at one time. He brings the dead back to life. He's going to bring Lazarus back. He brings the dead back to life. He brings that little girl, brought that little girl back to life. So what's with what's up with this? Well, years ago, I uh, I found and and what I thought was the best explanation, and uh, I think it still rings true to me that this two-stage healing of the blind man. Is, reflects the disciples their understanding that they they are blind and their coming to grasp who Jesus is is something that is done not overnight but in stages in pieces in chunks the disciples were about to get to the story of 
Peter declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. So it's like we're moving on to the second part. They they don't they they're with Jesus, but they their understanding of what's happening is like the man who's well, I, there's they look like trees, which isn't very helpful if people just look look like trees walking around. So just as the disciples are going to go through this whole second part that we're about to get into, that will bring them to the full and deep understanding of what of who Jesus is and what he's about in that way their blindness the recovery of their sight as it were is like this man so i do think that's what I, that that's what mark's intention is in 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 this and including it and it's it's what jesus's intention is i would even say it, because his disciples are going to have to be brought more. And in fact, indeed, if you know the story and what, you know what happens, they're not really going to come to the understanding that they need to have until Pentecost, right? Because even when Jesus is crucified, they're hiding. Even when he's resurrected, they, 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 they get that, but they're... They're, they're home, they go back home fishing. They're, they're, not, they're not being the church. That all has to wait on Pentecost. So, anyway, thoughts, questions, anything there? We're going to stop there and come back to Peter's famous declaration about Jesus next week. All righty. All righty. Well, wow. That hour went fast. Alrighty, I guess I'm coming back over here. Okay, babe, side. you come on back over here. It's been great having everybody here today. Truly. Always. Always. Yeah. I imagine all of you out there, sort of, we're all together in the same room. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Even I though, didn't quite even though we're really not. <laughs> it's sort of like we are. I guess we're in a virtual room, kind of. We are. Sort of, yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but truly, thank you guys for yeah, being here. Thanks for being here we today. We hope you can join us tomorrow as we continue to make our way through First Samuel. Yes. You know who we come to tomorrow? I'll give a hint. The famous. I'm going to use the how she's popularly referred to as. I think still probably. It's kind of unfair to her. But the Witch of Endor. Hmm. Yes. It sounds like something out of Game of Thrones. I guess it does, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you for this beautiful day. And we thank you, God, for the technology that we can do this every Monday. We really do, Lord. And uh, we thank you for this safe place to be able to study your word and ask questions, God. We pray, God, that you would continue to hold this group together as we move forward today. And we pray, God, that you would bring us back together safely, all of us, next Monday. We pray, God, that you would keep us healthy. We pray, God, that you would watch over and keep us safe. And, Lord, we pray for your wisdom in our lives, your discernment to help us make good choices every day, Lord. All this we pray in the name of your living Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. Oh, amen. Okay. Adios, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow.